Hey, thank you. Welcome and thank you for listening to Talking Sports with Evan, joined today by a special guest, Andy Hermit from Packaday Podcast. And I just want to quickly say thank you for uh, coming on and talking some Packers and other, you know, Wisconsin sports with me. Yeah, you bet. Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. So I do want to add, you know, I'm a big fan of your work, Packaday Podcast, which you're the owner and founder of, and you have a great crew of people that bring great content each and every day to your to your uh to your to the pack day and before we do jump into the 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 meat and the potatoes of the show can you just kind of talk a little bit about that and uh where people can find it and where it kind of came from yeah absolutely so yeah you can find it uh every day we have an audio version you know pack a day podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts i also do a video uh, 365 days a year over on YouTube as well. Same thing, just search Packaday Podcast. So um, you can get them in both places. The video, usually just me for about 10, 15 minutes at most, uh, talking a random topic each day. Um, and then same thing kind of on the audio, but we've got a team of about 20 to 25 people um, in different groups. And we got a new team that's going kind of every single day. And um, they make me look smart. They're the best team in the world. They're a phenomenal, amazing people. Um, with, you know, as, as great as they are at podcasting, they're even better at just being human beings, which is the best thing ever. So, um, yeah. So if you haven't had a chance, make sure to check it out. I appreciate the shout out, Evan. Yeah. And I appreciate you, uh, like I mentioned, coming on and, uh, spending a little bit of time here. So I think, I guess quiet off season is not the term. I know Rogers <laughs> jokingly at his press conference with Brady and, uh, I forget the, who else was involved in the the the, the match play presser? He kind of said, you know, quiet offseason. Obviously, it hasn't been. So I do want to touch on that a little bit. I don't want to make this all about Rogers, though, because I yeah. think a lot of people are Rogered out. I guess if that you know is a term for to some degree. Um, but aside from Rogers, they did have a draft uh, a few months back, uh, mandatory and voluntary OTAs. Uh, um, can't just came and are finishing up and we had some restructurings of contracts. If a couple free agents have come in, especially one recently. So I guess kind of start with, with the OTAs, I know you, you have been there. What is kind of your, your, uh, what kind of stood out to you, um, with Packer OTAs, um, this year, the ones that you were able to get to? Yeah. So I was able to get to a few of the OTA and mini camp practices, um, obviously all eyes were on Jordan Love just to kind of see how he was going to perform. And, you know, he got almost every snap through the entirety of OTAs and minicamp that were open to the media. Of course, the one day that I wasn't there for minicamp is the day he apparently tore it up and, um, you know, was throwing dimes everywhere. Uh, the rest of camp, you know, or the rest of the time I was there, he mostly struggled, um, you know, just a lot of, you know, he just looks young and inexperienced, right? Uh, a lot of not looking comfortable in the pocket, kind of some nervous checkdowns, that sort of stuff. But uh, a lot of that's to be expected. And what you want to see is some of those flash plays and some of that stuff coming together. And obviously that's what he did at the, at the one mini camp that had literally everyone talking and everyone, you know, everyone's head was turned. So uh, that's what you want to see is you want to see progress and development and him having that really great day of practice is certainly a step in the right direction. I think another thing is that, this rookie class certainly looks like they're going to come in and compete. Now, I don't think we can glean anything at this point to say, yep, this is a fantastic class or this is a terrible class or anything in between. Uh, but it certainly seems like Eric Stokes is going to be involved that corner. It certainly seems like Josh uh, Myers is going to have every opportunity to win the center spot. 
certainly looks like Royce Newman is going to have the opportunity uh, to rotate in and have an opportunity or, or even potentially start at guard, even got some time with the ones at tackle. Uh, so it definitely seems like he's going to be in the, the conversation there. And then, you know, even uh, a Shamar Jean Charles, right? Even he um, got in and, and made some plays when he had the opportunity. Amari Rogers is going to have a role. So I, I don't know that we can necessarily, necessarily say one way or the other that this is, like I said, a, a great, bad, or indifferent draft class at this point. That would obviously be premature. But it definitely seems like those top five especially are going to be in the conversation. And I think Kylan Hill has got a really great chance to win the number three running back spot as well. So um, good early returns doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot, but better than the alternative. Yeah, and before we do move on to the the draft class and the rookies in general, I think it's safe to say if it wasn't for the uncertainty of a certain quarterback, I'm guessing most of the ups and downs that we saw from Jordan Love wouldn't be uh, – anywhere nearly scrutinized like it is right now. Is that pretty safe to say? Um, yeah, I think to some extent, right? So he certainly wouldn't have even gotten anywhere near the amount of reps that he would have gotten. I think, you know, Rodgers is obviously going to take a good chunk of those if he's there, especially at mandatory minicamp. Uh, but I still think, you know, even if, even if this situation didn't exist, this is really our first opportunity to see Jordan Love since training camp last year. So I still think he gets a pretty heavy look. And I still think, you know, th- that topic was big, you know what them drafting a quarterback in the first round last year, regardless of this offseason storyline with Aaron Rodgers. So I still think a lot of eyes would have been on him, not to the same extent, but I think you would have seen a lot of the same reporting come out, whether he was doing good, bad, or indifferent. At the same token, to your point, Evan, is that if he's set to be the number two quarterback this year, you've seen what you've wanted to see already. And what I mean by that is you've seen him take you've seen him progress and take steps in the right direction. You've seen him put together a really good practice. You've seen him make some incredible throws. You've seen him look more confident. You've seen him, you know, take the reins a little bit more. It, you know, does he look ready to be a number one quarterback at this point? No, take that with a grain of salt because we haven't even seen training camp or, or preseason yet. But, you know, he probably doesn't look like a, a number one guy at this point. But, you know, he was a number three last year that was completely behind the eight ball because of the COVID situation. What you want to see is that he's now ready to be a true number two. And to me, he's already started to take steps in the right direction to show that, Hey, I can be a number two. Now, obviously, again, to your point, it accelerates and and accentuates this entire story because he can't, he might not be able to be number two, right. Which of course expedites everything. Yeah, definitely expedites everything. And, you know, I was commenting on my show last week that it's not necessarily a bad thing that Rogers is not at OTAs. I know it's not the situation we want, as in we don't really know what's going on. You know, we've heard basically from everybody except Rodgers himself on what the problem is. But I don't think it's a bad thing Rodgers wasn't at these because if I'm not mistaken, I believe I read uh, somewhere today that like he got like pretty much almost every single rep for uh, all like a lot of the team stuff uh, during these uh, mandatory mini camps and voluntary OTAs. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think – you know, in a vacuum, if you're not taking the Rogers situation into consideration, love getting all of these snaps and so much time with the ones is 
you know, could be a, a huge blessing in disguise, right? Like that could be something that's very beneficial long-term for his career and his development and something he needed after, again, not having OTAs, rookie mini camps, mini camps a season ago and coming in and going into training camp and being the number three guy, getting very few reps. And then in season being the number three guy, getting even fewer reps as Rogers had to get ready for a Super Bowl. You know, they were hoping to be a Super Bowl run and uh, Tim Boyle taking any leftover snaps to prepare as the number two. So, yeah, he needed every snap that he could get this offseason, and uh, I'm right there with you. I think, again, you put if we can compartmentalize for a second, which I know is not always people's favorite thing to do, put the Rodgers thing to, to the side and just say, from a Jordan Love standpoint, there's a lot of benefits that came out of this. Yeah, and, you know, again, you know, training camp, now he's going to, assuming Rodgers shows up, which I think he will, which we'll get to him in a minute, um, now he's going to get all those number two reps, which is definitely going to uh, – help with that development process as well. So you talked Rogers, you did bring up some of the rookies, um, you know, Stokes, for example, um, first round pick, Maury Rogers, Myers. Um, heard a lot of the names mentioned. Um, who really, I guess you would feel really stood out. Cause I know Stokes, the, uh, some, one of the days last week, you know, I heard a lot of him basically, you know, kind of being the star of the show. Yeah, so this this is always a little bit tough, right? So just to kind of give you a little bit of insight into what's kind of happening. So at these OTAs and mini camps um, that are open to the public, like the first, I don't know, like six, seven periods are, you know, basically nothing. It's, you know, some positional drills. It's some ball, ball security drills. Frankly, there's not a ton going on. Sometimes in the receiver drills, you can see, you know, how they're moving, how they're running their routes, you know, but it's still against air. You know, same thing for the quarterbacks in those situations. So you can pick up on little things here and there, but there's not a ton to go off of. And then finally, you know, they usually go into maybe like, I don't know, maybe like a 10 to 15 minute team period. And in those situations is obviously when everyone wants to, you know, make their observations and try to glean as much as they can, because it's more of a competitive period. Now, no pads, you know, all of that sort of stuff that you have to take into consideration here. But so now you've got 90 guys for the most part, probably 85, 80, when you take, you know, into consideration, some people missing and injured, things like that, but 80 ish guys that are constantly rotating in and out over the course of a 15 minute period. And you're trying to make as many observations as you can. Right. And everyone is kind of looking at, all right, what's the starting offensive line look like? All right, so Royce Newman's in there, Lucas Patrick's in there, Josh Myers is in there. And then, you know, you kind of look at who's on the offensive line. Then you kind of look out, okay, who's in the slot? All right, Shannon Sullivan, who's that linebacker? Who's, you know, you're starting to try to put together and paint a picture for the people who are on, you know, watching on Twitter or, you know, that we can report back to later that day. You're trying to paint a picture of, you know, who lined up where and things like that. And then that's done. And now, of course, the man of the moment is Jordan Love. So you're just trying to watch, all right, what did Jordan Love do on this play? What did he do on that play? Did he make anything good happen? And now, okay, I've got a few observations in on Jordan Love. Now you're maybe looking for somebody else that you can pick out and like maybe watch for a little bit. By the time that happens, the team period is over. So like, it's really difficult to make, like say like this person looked great or this person looked terrible because you're trying to watch like 80 guys rotating in and out and you're just trying to make as many observations as you can. So with that being said, um, as I mentioned, I thought, you know, some of the rookies played well. I, I think the, the thing that caught my eye, and, and again, because there's no pads and things like that, you have to always take this with a grain of salt. But Royce Newman getting reps as a fourth round rookie with the ones at right guard, left guard and right tackle 
is insanely impressive. Like that, ha- I mean, they obviously have some level of faith in him that they feel like he can go out and compete at some of these jobs this early in his career. That they 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 clearly feel pretty good about it. Now, does it mean he's going to win? Uh, you know, a, a top six spot on the line, either the top five or the the, the first guy off the bench doesn't necessarily mean that, right? But it's certainly a good start to his career, and they obviously have some level of trust that he knows the assignments and can pick up on things very quickly. You know, so that's a positive thing. You know, Devin Funches, did I see him make any spectacular plays or anything like that? No, but does he pass the eye test within a second of looking at him? A million percent. Big, tall, physical dude, possession receiver, good route runner, you know, strong at the point of attack with the catch. Everything that you want to see out of him, you see in in a quick snippet here and there when you get a chance to watch him. You know, um, trying to again, Shamar Jean Charles breaks up a couple passes during practice. That certainly catches your eye, especially when there's not that many plays uh, to be made. Um, Jawan Winfrey uh, made a, a couple nice touchdown receptions. So it's like those things that you're just trying to pick up on here and there. Well, again, there's insane chaos going around everywhere, and you're just trying to make as many observations as you can. Yeah, and I, I guess one one thing that kind of stands out to me that I recall, and obviously Russell Wilson, kind of a, a rare breed, but I remember back when he was drafted. You know, the the uh, Seahawks just gave big money to uh, Matt Flynn uh, yeah. from from the Packers, signed as a free agent deal, and uh, Wilson goes, I want to say third or fourth round, and he just wowed at rookie OTAs, rookie minicamp. Uh, and all that. So it's definitely seeing Newman performing well is definitely a good start. It probably it bodes well come training camp that I, I'm sure that they're going to want to get a look of him with uh, hopefully Rogers, a quarterback and the number one offense and see how he does against that number one defense for the, for the Packers when they go live and then in uh training camp as well. So Stoke- I think the big thing there too, is for those rookies, it's, it's so important that they start gaining confidence, right? Like I think we always forget, like imagine your first days on the job, right? You just want to show that like, Hey, they hired me for a reason. They brought me in for a reason. And you want to be able to have some quick wins and gain some quick confidence. Like as, as a new guy at any position, a new girl at any position, new person, at any position, you want to go in and have, you know, do something well right away so that you can start feeling at home and start gaining that confidence. And I think people, I, I look at the opposite, right? I don't think Josh Jackson ever got that. I think he started off a lot of times in the slot as a rookie, not his natural position. I don't think he ever felt comfortable. I don't think he ever got, you know, to the point where he was really feeling good and, and, and doing what he wanted to do on a football field, played a ton of outside zone coverage at Iowa. Now they're asking him to come inside and play a ton of nickel slot man-to-man defense, which is not his forte, right? And he never gains that confidence. And we've seen him have a choppy career ever since then. You know, so having that strong start and having the ability to come in and perform and get those wins relatively quick, I think all of the, you know, all the rookies, especially top five rounds, you really had, you know, some of the the wins and success in that regards and have something to hang their hat on and say, hey, I'm here for a reason. I'm confident and I'm ready to go to training camp. Was it perfect? No, but I think you still want to have that, especially in OTAs, rookie minicamps, minicamps, et cetera. Yeah, sticking to the draft picks really quick. Um, any that because um, Stokes first round, I was you know no pun intended stoked about that one. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed him uh, reading up on him leading into the draft. Like the Rogers pick, I think Slayton's going to be a guy that um, may be a you know may not contribute immediately 
uh, week one, but probably, you know, as the season wears on, he's a guy that could see a lot of reps down the line. You know, who are some guys to you that you just look at and you're like, I'm really glad they made that pick. Yeah, the, the guys to me, and this may sound like a weird list. I mean, of course, Amari Rogers, right? Like, it's very difficult to not like Amari Rogers. What he's done, even at rookie minicamps and OTAs, what he put on tape, um, obviously in, in college, it's. It, I don't. I don't know how you could not like that pick in some capacity, right? It's not to say he's going to turn out. It's not to say he's going to be the next Randall Cobb. It's not to say any of that, but. I don't know how you can look at him and be like, yeah, that's not, that guy's not for me. Right. Like he's just a really good football player. So definitely excited about that. The two guys that, that stood out to me on tape is just kind of value guys. Right. Like, so like, as I'm watching them, I'm thinking like, I think green Bay got steals. Uh, TJ Slayton was the first one. Like to me, he has so much more upside than your normal fifth round pick. And again, it's not to say that he's going to turn out. It's not going to say that he doesn't have a learning curve. He absolutely does. Uh, but I love his size. I love his strength. I love his first step. I, I think he can get to the, you know, make an impact as a pass rusher more than I ever expected. I think he can eat blocks. I think he has a role on this team to play sooner rather than later, especially with the sort of lack of depth along the defensive line for Green Bay. So that was definitely a, a player who I watched on tape and was really excited about. But the 1A on my list, if I had to say like biggest value or, you know, based on everything that I watched, Kylan Hill, I do not get in any way, shape, or form how this wasn't at worst a fourth-round draft pick. I mean, at worst. He, he does everything. He, like, he catches the ball insanely clean. He can make people miss. He can run through tackles. He's elusive. He is a better than, um, you know, most pass protector coming out of college. Like, there's no holes in his game. I have two question marks that I have on him. I have, you know, the the four, he doesn't have like the four, four forty speed, right? He's more of like an Aaron Jones where the speed's good enough, but he's just not, he's not going to necessarily, you know, just run sprint away from people, right? Who cares? Aaron Jones makes plays all the time at that exact same speed, not concerned about it. Um, the other thing is like, he's not a, a goal line, you know, type back. He, he's had opportunities in goal line situations, third and short, fourth and short, as much as he's broken tackles in the open field in the second level, for whatever reason, in some of the short yardage and goal line situations he's struggled with, you have AJ Dillon for that. And you have Aaron Jones who's shown that he can do that. You don't need him to do that. Everything else I'm cool with. I think he has a ton of upside. So I'm really excited to see what he can do in training camp and preseason um, to see if he kind of comes as advertised and what he looked like, especially um, two years ago on his college tape. Um, but those are the two guys that really stood out to me. And then I'll, I'll do one more really quick. Shamar Jean Charles in a way was the opposite. I looked at his tape and there wasn't anything that stood out to me as being like something I could grab onto and be like, all right, this is what's going to set him apart in the NFL and he can do this very well. However, there's, something about him. And when you talk about having it, for whatever reason, and I can't put my finger on it, even though there's not a single trait, he doesn't have great speed, doesn't have great athleticism, doesn't have great, um, there's nothing I can point to and be like, that's it. That's what he's great at. He continues to make plays and break up passes. And there are some players where you watch the tape and then you watch in person and they just don't add up. And Shamar Jean Charles to me is a little bit of that. I watched him in person and got a chance to see him in OTAs and mini camps and that sort of thing. He, I was super impressed. And I, to me, he has something, has some intangible quality that's going to make him successful. I don't know why. I don't know what it is, but he just has it. Even though I didn't like the tape really at all or didn't have a trait that I could you know pound the table on, I'm still very excited about him just based on what he showed in, in mini camp and OTAs. So um, those are kind of a few guys that I'm keeping an eye on. 
Yeah. So moving, you know, moving away from the draft picks here, couldn't really sign a ton for free agents. I know they just signed one, uh, Devon, Devon Campbell linebacker who, you know, from what I've seen looks to be, you know, pretty solid addition. He, he's always available, which as we've seen for the Packers, uh, many times like, uh, Kirksey last year, solid linebacker when he's available, which wasn't very often he was available. Um, but they also lottery structures, the Smiths, um, Amos, Lowry, um, they brought back uh, Lancaster. Any of those moves just kind of surprise you um, per- personally? And I kind of get why they brought Lowry back, but and then, you know, restructured him. But that was one that to me was kind of a contract they could have uh, gotten gotten rid of to be you know perfectly honest but any moves that surprised you on regarding the restructurings or people they didn't you know people they brought back because really i think they only cut wagner and uh kirksey if i'm not mistaken yeah cut wagner kirksey and then obviously Lindsley left in free agency um yeah almost all of it surprised me to be frank and i'll be i'll be fully honest and transparent and say i got a lot of it wrong i did not think Preston Smith would be back in any capacity. I, don't I think thought, thought he would be back, to be honest. Yeah, I thought he would be released. I thought Dean Lowry would be released. So, and kind of going into this, right? So, and part of what led me to that belief one was some of the play on tape from a season ago. The other was when I asked Brian Gutekunst um, prior to free agency if he had the ability to go out and sign a high level player or if just that wasn't going to be in the cards based on, you know, where they were at, you know, financially. And maybe he was just lying because he didn't want agents to know that he didn't have the money or the means to go out and sign someone and still wanted to have some of those conversations. Um, But he seemed very sincere when he said, I want to be, you know, we have the ability to go out and sign a marquee free agent if we want to go in that direction. And that led me to believe the only way you could do that is if Preston Smith, Dean Lowry, some of those guys are gone. So you can clear cap space to do that. And you structure or extend a certain uh, quarterback that hasn't been around. Fair enough. That would be another way. You know, so I I obviously, you know, I went in and I did a whole video. I thought Aaron Rodgers would have had some sort of new deal by now. Obviously, there's multiple things that threw a wrench into that. I thought Devontae Adams would have a new deal by now. I thought Preston and Dean Lowry would be gone. I guess I got Rick Wagner and Christian Kirksey right. But um, I think those were were sort of writing on the wall a little bit. But um, and I definitely did not think that Aaron Jones would be back. I just didn't think that they were going to find a a meeting ground based on what his initial contract demands or, you know, what it looked like he was going to get, I should say. Um, And I thought there would maybe be an outside chance that if they prioritize somebody that maybe it would be Corey Lindsley, but didn't necessarily have a great feel on that, but um, they went obviously in a very different direction. And I think, I think that's what makes this Aaron Rodgers situation so difficult, right? Because they went into this offset. I would love to know the day that they knew Rodgers was upset. I would love to know when they knew, like knew wholeheartedly, all right, he's having major thoughts of whether he's going to play for the Packers again because they certainly went into a free agency period where they kept the band together and did everything they could to bring this the the NFC Championship you know team for the last two seasons back for this upcoming season, save for Corey Lindsley basically. And um, now the the big question is, of course, will will Aaron be the one to quarterback it? Because if not, you just signed a lot of those players back to come back for this one season where if let's be honest, if Jordan love is the starting quarterback, like you don't have Super Bowl aspirations, right? It's just, it it just is what it is. It's not to say they can't be a good team. It's not to say that he can't be a good quarterback. It's just, you go from a Super Bowl contender to more of, 
all right, let's see what Jordan Love's got and let's kick his career off and see where, you know, where we can go from there. So it's, it's again, the off season is so interesting in a variety of different ways. Yeah, it's definitely been an interesting off season. And the guy that's made it the most interesting for the NFL. Um, well, I guess kind of backtrack a little bit first, because first we saw Deshaun Watson refusing to play for Houston ever again. Then rumblings of uh, Russell Wilson, he uh, wanting to be traded to these teams in particular. And now we have, you know, that Rodgers is unhappy and, you know, Jake Glazer is not coming out saying that, you know, he ain't coming back. Rob Demotsky has mentioned that. James Jones has commented that it's fixable and, you know, it's not, you know, basically it's not what we think it is. I believe I'm probably, you know, not exactly his quote, but everyone thinks it's between him and Goot. And he's kind of saying, you know, it's not really, you know, it's not really just him or not about him. So it kind of makes me think it's maybe a little higher up the ladder. Um, but what are your thoughts on what exactly, you know, is going on with Rogers? Yeah, I think that's the million dollar question. Right. And I think, that's the hardest part for I think myself and and just a lot of people is it's one thing to watch a player on tape and point out and circle them and highlight them and say, this is what they did great, or this is what they did wrong. Or having a player come out and say, Hey, I want to be traded or looking at the Packers salary cap space and saying, based on the space that they have and, and, and what they can do with contracts, here are some players they could sign or here are some players that could potentially be released. Those are things that you can analyze and break down and, you know, and go over with people with some level of certainty, at least in, in how you're analyzing it with this. It's like, we're hearing through people, through people, through anonymous sources of one person who thinks this could happen. Another who thinks this will happen. And it's, I don't think anyone has this great innate feel as to how this is going to end. So we're kind of just left with, here's how it could end, could end with him retiring, could end up with him being traded, could end up with him showing up for training camp, could end up with him, you know, who knows, sitting out for the Like there's a million different things that could happen, but I think to try to figure out exactly what Aaron's feeling, exactly what the Packers are feeling, where they're at in this negotiation or lack thereof or wherever it's at, it's all a he said, she said, and we're trying to do our best to, figure out and put the puzzle pieces together in real time when we're getting little, little bits and pieces here and there. As far as I, I'm concerned, there's two things that lead to this in general, right? Lack of respect or, or feeling not respected or loss, lack of communication. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily one of those, but usually when there's some sort of breakup or hard feelings, it's because there was a lack or a communication breakdown at some point or somebody doesn't feel respected. And I have a feeling that in some way, shape or form, it's probably both, right? Rogers probably feels not respected, whether that's valid or not, who knows? And I think there's probably a breakdown in communication. When I asked Brian Gutekunst in a press conference, going back to the Jordan Love pick, I said, you know, obviously he was the best player on the board for them at the time. And they felt convicted about the pick. But now with the benefit of hindsight, is there anything that you would have done differently knowing that this has you know, been a potential issue for Rodgers, et cetera? And he just said the, only, the thing he said was he wishes they would have communicated things better. And usually that's what happens. A small miscommunication can you know, 
snowball into something a lot bigger before you know it. And I think it was a lot of small miscommunications, probably on both sides, that ultimately led to this entire thing. Do I know that for a fact? No chance. I have no inside source. I have no inside info. But just in life and in general, usually it's because somebody doesn't feel respected or valued, or it's because there's a loss of communication. You know, Rogers with Kenny Mayne talked about how, you know, the culture and, you know, it's about the guys in the room. And you also had to come out that, you know, he was unhappy. You know, I don't have an issue that they released Kumaro. You know, I thought the guys they kept had bigger upside, you know, long term than Kumaro, who hasn't really made an impact anywhere he's gone. But, you know, he, you know he, that was brought up as kind of the, I don't necessarily want to call it the straw that broke the camel's back. But was that more about they, they let Kumaro go when he was one of, quote, Rogers' guys? Or is it that the day before they let him go, Rogers is on a show praising Kumaro, saying how, how great he's doing and, you know, that kind of thing. I kind of, I guess that kind of goes to your uh, respect comment. Yeah, I think it's respect bit. and lack of communication, right? So if if your quarterback is going to vouch for a guy and say out loud, hey, this is somebody that I really trust and can believe in, and then my guess is the Packers release them without ever touching base with Rodgers after that, um, I can see, like, hey, I just publicly said how well I think this receiver is playing and how much trust I have in him. It's okay that, you know, and I'm totally just putting my, trying to put myself in Rogers' shoes here. I'm not saying this actually happened, but if I could totally see how Rogers would be like, you know, hey, it's okay for you to release him. I, I can understand that, but like, come talk to me first. Like, if you're going to keep Malik Taylor over a guy that I just praised publicly and said that he looks great and he's playing phenomenal, and I think can be a key part of this team. If, if you want to do that, that's your prerogative. But like, just come talk to me because obviously you can see one thing on the tape and you can see one thing as a scout. I'm the one that's got to throw these guys the football. And if I feel like one of those guys is way better and I trust a lot more than another one, that's probably something that you want to know. And even if you make the decision the other way, okay, I may not like it, but at least I had a say in it. At least I told you about it. At least we had that open form of communication. And again, maybe that happened. No idea. But if it didn't, I can understand why you'd be frustrated. And I do think, do I think that Rodgers cares who they draft in the fourth round or what free agent corner they pick up or anything like that? No chance. I don't think he cares about, I don't think he wants, I don't think he wants to start scouting players and figure out anything like that. But I think it does. I think it does sting for him a bit more, whether it was Jordy Nelson, whether it was Jimmy Graham, whether it was, um, you know, whether it was Jake Kumaro, whether it was Randall Cobb. I do think from a quarterback standpoint, their receivers are their guys a little bit more. There's a kinsmanship between those type of players. It's, it's your, it's your weapons. It's guys that are like, you're going to battle with week in and week out. It's guys that you develop a rapport with and you are on the same page with. And we know that Rogers and Jordy had basically like a form of ESP where they were on the same page and they knew exactly what each other were going to do. And that stuff is tough to pick up and learn. And they had it. And I'm sure him and Cobb had some form of that as well. So I think it all goes down to, again, is communicating those things. And at some point, if, if, it's, if it's between the wide receivers and, and Rodgers, and that's what he maybe wants a little bit more say in, or at least have, being involved in the conversation, 
I think it's the Packers. You have to at least entertain that idea. Hey, we're going to build our defense and the offensive line and the, you know, the running backs and stuff like that. But when it comes to your weapons, we really want your input and your insight as to who's playing well, who you have a rapport with and who we should keep around on this team. And again, it's not to say that maybe he goes to them and says, Hey, you know, I love Jake and I want him on the roster and the Packers say, Hey, that's great and all, but the number six wide receiver has to be a stud on special teams. And that's not Jake and Malik Taylor is really that guy. So really you get five wide receivers and that sixth one is really just a special teams guy. And so we're going to make the decision on that special teams guy. If you want Jake to be one of your top five receivers, then we're going to have to talk about, do you want to cut EQ? Do you want to, you know, something like that. Right. Um, And maybe he then understands a little bit more, whatever, but I do think you at least have that conversation at the end of the day, if keeping your hall of fame, all pro MVP quarterback happy is the difference between, you know, keeping Malik Taylor or Jay Kumaro, by all means, just keep Jay Kumaro, right? Like that is one of those concessions that you can easily make that if it makes the guy happy, who the heck cares, you know? So I, I can understand again, both sides of it. And there's a lot of shades of gray hair here, but I think that's what it comes down to again is, is it all comes down to communication. Yeah. Definitely communication, and I think one of the guys that needs to do a better job of communicating or kind of not communicating is a guy who himself said that maybe it's best if we, you know, don't speak publicly on the matter. Um, and, you know, Murphy comments in his daily monthly newsletter, which I didn't realize he even had until this situation came about, um, that it's dividing the fan base, and then he said both sides should stay quiet, and then he's telling – a story from conversations with Ted Thompson talking about how he's a complicated fella and kind of getting the gist that there's a lot of differing opinions on Murphy, but lately it's not so positive. Um, I guess kind of what's your take though. For me, I don't really have an issue per se of what he said. It's just the fact that it was less than a week after he just said both sides should keep their mouth shut. But what's kind of your thoughts on Murphy's involvement in this and uh, his comments that he's made both uh, to speak in engagement and then in this take five with Murphy? Yeah, I think so. First of all, the comment's stupid. Just, you know, don't say it. There's no reason yeah. to say it. There's no, ben- there's no benefit in saying it, right? There's Not nothing good that can happen so out of that. Do I think it's going to sway anything? No. Do I think Rogers is going to be like, well, we were getting close, but now I was called a fella or a complicated fella. And now I'm out like, no, it's, it's ridiculous, right? It's not, it's not going to affect anything. Um, and I don't think, um, I don't think ultimately it matters as much as maybe people are, are bringing it out to be at the same token. Don't say it like why, again, there's nothing possible good that can come out of that. Here's where I stand. Murphy. Like a fool. <laughs> What's that? Just makes Murphy kind of look like a fool. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. And here's here's the thing with Mark. I, I actually, for the most part, for the better half of the last decade, like a lot of the moves that he made. I think you know Brian Gutekunst for the most part's done a pretty darn good job so far. Um, really, you know, turning this team around from uh, a team that was really starting to flounder with McCarthy and just didn't have the talent because of some decisions by Ted Thompson towards the end of his um, you know tenure with the team. I think he's done a really good job of turning that around. I think, you know, he deserves a ton of, uh, of credit for the the Matt LaFleur hire, which, you know, Murphy was at the forefront of. Um, and I think they made a little home run hire in Matt LaFleur. I think you look at, I know he always gets crapped on for the sledding hill photo, which is a ridiculous photo. So I get it. But um, at the same token, the Titletown district is an incredible success up until this point. And what people don't realize is, it's very important for the Packers to have cash on hand. Like everyone just looks at like, 
hey, you know, if they if the salary cap is whatever million dollars, like that's how much they can spend. If they don't have the money to go out and spend that much, like to, to have the cash on hand. Which they, they didn't have in the 2020 after they went on that splurge in 2019. Plus, you know, I mean, they, they had enough money in, they didn't have the cap room, but they had enough cash on hand because they've built, they've banked up everything and they've got reserves on reserves at this point. But the point being is that he's done a really good job from a business standpoint of building up this franchise and making it so that in the year of a pandemic and you don't have fans in the stands as a, as a Green Bay Packer fan, you don't have to worry, are the Packers financials okay? Are they going to be able to stay operating? Are they going to be able to pay everyone They've done a great job of diversifying everything and to make sure that they have consistent cash flow and everything like that. There's a lot that goes in to running this team. I think Murphy's done overall a really solid job of almost all of it. Has he made mistakes unequivocally? But most people do in their job. Now, that all that being said, if I look at this entire picture and I want to be mostly fair about it, right? I know there are people who are, well, hey, Rogers is a diva or, you know, just come and play, you know, play for the, all the money that you're being paid. I can look through Aaron Rodgers' eyes and understand why he would be frustrated with a certain amount of things. Am I absolving him of all blame? No. Am I saying that he's perfect? No. But I can look through his eyes and understand why he could be frustrated. I can look through Matt LaFleur's eyes and say, I don't think I've done anything wrong. In fact, I think I might be the one that could save this entire operation. And if there's anyone that might get Rogers back, I think it might be Matt LaFleur. I can look th- through this at, uh, through Russ Ball's eyes and say, hey, my job is just to be the financial guy. And I'm going to tell you the, if this makes sense or if this doesn't make sense. And you ultimately make the decision. But here's wh- what I'm going to tell you. I can understand everything from a Russ Ball standpoint and everything, every monetary decision that they've made up until this point. I can look through Brian Gutekunst's eyes and again, not absolving him of all blame in any way, shape or form either. But I can look through it in his eyes and say, Listen, his job is to make sure that the Packers are good, not just in 2021, but in 2022, 2025, 2030, and beyond. And that is looking at long-term value and looking at how you can make this team be good for the longest period of time possible while he's general manager of this football team. And I can see how drafting a Jordan Love and releasing a Jake Kumaro and releasing a Jordy Nelson and all those sort of things, I can see why he would make all of those decisions. I can see through his eyes. That being said, and where I want to you know, kind of go with all this is from a Mark Murphy standpoint, Rodgers can have his prerogative. Russ Ball can have his. Matt LaFleur can have his. Brian Gutekunst can have his. But at the end of the day, the president of the football team in this situation, because there's no owner, has to make sure that all of them are on the same page and aligned as much as possible. And if Brian Gutekunst, his GM, is saying, hey, I want to start looking towards 2025 and you think that that might alienate your quarterback or that might cause some major rifts in the organization right now, then as the president, that's your job to rein that in and say, hey, Brian, you are doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, looking towards the future. That's what a GM does. But in this situation, we got to reverse course. Or if, you know, Matt LaFleur is saying, hey, I need this player now, this player now, this player now, whatever. And, you know, they're saying, you know what, we just don't have the money for that. Then it's the president's job to back up LaFleur and say, you're right. This is what you should be wanting as head coach. But looking at this through everything, you can't, you know, we can't do this right now. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers. It is, you know, he's got to step in there too. And it's a little bit more difficult with a player when you're in Mark Murphy's position, but you've got to make sure that if you've got a player, a superstar, listen, we're, we're not talking about 
we're not talking about a, a Baker Mayfield, right? We're not talking about a, a good quarterback on a good team. We're talking about one of the 10 most recognizable, important players in all of sports in Aaron Rodgers. And I'm, you know, whether you want to go LeBron James, Giannis, you know, Fernando Tatis Jr., I don't care where you want to go. Rodgers is in that top 10. And when you have a player that is in the top 10 of most important player in sports, there's an old saying, you don't treat everyone equally, you treat everyone fairly. And in that situation, you have to treat Aaron Rodgers fairly based on how he, who he is as a superstar. And again, that's on Mark Murphy to set expectations with Lafleur and Gutekunst and whoever else that, hey, this guy needs to have a piece of the pie and the say in this as well. So at the end of the day, I think Mark Murphy has to be held to a higher standard and a higher level because he's the one that has to rope all of these people in and keep them on the same page and say, and say, hey, I've been here before with Brett Favre in this entire situation. I know what this takes and I'm going to be the guy that kind of guides us through this, this situation. And I don't think ultimately he's done a really great job of doing that so far. Yeah. Well, you know, thanks for that. I think you did a great job of, you know, speaking on the matter and, um, you know, it's a, something I hope they get resolved. You know, I, I don't see, you know, I personally feel that train come training camp, he'll be there, but like kind of what's your thought? Um, training camp rolls around 12 showing up in the red, uh, red number 12, uh, going through these, you know, practices and whatnot in the preseason, or is he still out in Hawaii or California or wherever he's hanging out these days? As of today, I'd be pretty surprised if he was there first day of training camp. I, I, I don't know how it gets resolved by then. And I think it's going to take a little bit more time to figure things out than just him being like, well, just kidding guys. I'm going to be there day one and everything's good to go. I'd be surprised by that, frankly, Um, as to whether or not he'll be quarterback day one, uh, you know, week one uh, against new Orleans. Uh, I've said this kind of, and it's kind of my lame cliche now at this point, but I'm 65% sure that he'll be the starting quarterback on day one. And I'm 0% confident in that statement. So um, in my opinion, Everyone, everyone's guess is as good as mine at this point. Yeah, I. So the, the and I and before um, you know we move on, you know we've heard from AJ Hawk, we've heard from James Jones, we've heard from John Kuhn. Am I wrong in saying that this is in a way you know they're they're basically sharing with us what Aaron Rodgers wants them to share? Because I don't I don't think they're going to be coming out publicly saying anything with their relationship with Rogers, if, uh, if Rogers didn't want them to share, I know it's, they haven't really shared anything with a lot of, you know, certainty on anything. It's they've, they've quoted it as their thoughts and their opinions after talking to them. But is that kind of a fair, uh, fair assessment that, you know, if Rogers wasn't, you know, basically telling them, Hey, this is what I want shared. Do you think they would be coming up publicly saying what they are? Yeah, knowing those guys, especially like a James Jones, I don't think any of them are doing anything to ruin that relationship with Aaron Rodgers. So I don't think they're saying anything that would be controversial or that he wouldn't want them to say, right? So I think all of them have done a pretty good job of tiptoeing things and not going into anything in great detail while also saying, hey, we think there's a way that this can be worked out. Um, I don't think they're like shilling for Aaron Rodgers. They're like being like his messenger boy or like I don't think Rodgers is, you know, printing out talking points for them or anything that, you know, crazy. But um, I do think that just in the nature of being respectful to their relationships, I'm sure they're obviously complimentary of their friend. I'm sure they're obviously cognizant of what he wouldn't, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't want said, you know, to the media and be public. Um, But I think, you know, it's also noteworthy that all those guys have stated in some capacity 
they think that this is something that can get resolved, which if you're looking for positives, it certainly seems that that would be one. Yeah, definitely. So hypothetical situation, Rodgers is not the starting quarterback week one. Um, he decides to sit out the 2021 season because he decided he doesn't need football as much as football needs him. Um, Jordan Love is his starting quarterback. So I, um, Ryan Wood from Press Gazette came out with a uh, schedule breakdown with Rodgers, without Rodgers, and he had them at five wins. Now, I think, you know, if Rod, and that was if, if either with either Brodos or Love starting, wasn't, you know, just Love starting. It's like if one of those two start, that's where they're going to be at. I think that's a little, you know, a little uh, under where I think they could be at. You know, if, if Rodgers isn't there, obviously, as you said earlier, they're not going to be a Super Bowl team without Rodgers. But I think, especially in the division that they're in, I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong to say that they're a team that could potentially compete for, you know, first place in the North. Because we saw, you know, Washington win the, the uh, East last year, winning, what, seven games. So yeah. I guess where do you see them at if Rodgers is not the quarterback in week one? Yeah, I think five seems a little bit low, especially when we're talking about a 17 game season. So about five and 12 seems that's, that's I, I, I struggle to see them losing 12 games with whether it's Jordan Love or Blake Bortles. Right. I'm not super intimidated by anyone in the NFC North at this point. I do think that there would be a learning curve. And I do think that there's maybe maybe it's maybe it's six wins, maybe it's seven, maybe it's eight. You know, who knows? I think it'd be I think it'd be tough to get a winning record, and not only because. Of, or, or because of Jordan Love in any specific way, that's a really rough offseason for any team to have to go through. You know, really losing an NFC championship in back-to-back seasons in games that I think, especially this past season, playing at home that they thought they were going to win, um, have a hangover from that, and then go into an offseason where there is a ton of drama and things are not easy and there's constant questions. And if that goes into training camp and then it ends with Rodgers not being the quarterback – and then love is thrown into things. I think that's a very difficult season to manage. And I don't necessarily know that even, even though I think that the talent on this team would be better than a five, six, seven win team, I can still see a situation where it's just a team that's exhausted. And there's just an undercurrent of not feeling great about the year and, and maybe not playing quite up to standards. And when you have even just little things in the NFL that go wrong, it can, it can again, spiral out of control rather quick. Now, Matt LaFleur hasn't lost back-to-back games as a head coach in his career, right? So saying all of a sudden that this is a head coach who's got an amazingly efficient offense that is based a ton around the running game, even when teams stack seven, eight guys in the box and really made throws easy for his quarterback. I think this offense can still put up points and I think the defense can be improved from a season ago. So I think they can compete in, in a, in a vacuum and in a perfect world. It just depends on like how much does the drama of this entire offseason affect them, especially if at the last minute Roger says, I'm out. Well, kind of, I guess, second uh, follow-up to kind of what I was asking, Rogers does show up. He starts week one, plays all 17 games. Do you – is it likely we still have that same hangover, even with Rogers being a quarterback, where they've, they've lost two straight NFC championship games, one at home, which, you know, they should have won – and, you know, all intended, you know, they should have won that game at the end of the day. And with this Rogers drama that dominated the off season, do they have that hangover even with him? Yeah. So sports are weird, right? So <laughs> you can have, you could have a situation where 
this entire thing happens and they go into week one and they're winning in week one and things fall apart and they lose the game. And now the season gets off on the wrong foot. And, you know, now maybe there's a weird, you know, after effect from it. And it just, you know, again, things don't ever start to feel right. Maybe week one, you know, or maybe a couple of weeks before the season starts, Rogers says, I'm in, I'm all in. I want to go in a Super Bowl with my brothers and the Green Bay Packers. And um, the team gets galvanized and uh, they go out and they either dominate week one or they, you know, maybe make a miraculous come from behind victory and the team bonds and they're good to go from there and they can go make a run. Like you just never know. Or maybe that, that moment comes later in the season as they overcome some form of adversity, who knows, but um, I, I, nothing's off the table at this point and nothing in sports anymore would surprise me. Like if you told me they went, Oh, and 17, or they went the first ever, what 20 and Oh, you know, undefeated you know team, anything in between, nothing would surprise me anymore. So, um, I think this is going to be a tough season for Green Bay to navigate with everything that's gone on, but that doesn't mean that they can't do it. So, and I trust Matt LaFleur a lot to be the guy that can navigate them through that stuff. Yeah, I definitely do as well. So before I do let you go, um, you know, I am going to be transitioning to some Milwaukee Bucks after here and following your, your timeline, you're definitely, you know, following that game yesterday. Um, Do we see a game seven? This is another one of those, and maybe I'm just a little cynical here. I'm not sure it matters, to be frank. Um, I guess it matters in the fact that the rest of the NBA is insanely beat up, and if maybe you get right, you get hot at the right time, and they figure something out in Game Six at home, and they win convincingly against the Nets, and can carry that over into Game Seven. You know, who again? Who knows in sports, right? But the way that they've played up until this point, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said the same thing when asked again, greatest buck of all time asked simply, you know, he went out of his way to say, Hey, I love this team. I love this group of guys. And then he was asked, can they win the championship? He with one word said, no, Um, they, they don't play the right way right now. Like you go and watch the Phoenix Suns, right? And obviously the Suns are a, a very unique team with one of the greatest point guards of all time on their roster, their ball movement, their switches, their sophisticated offense, getting people consistent, open looks, that's how you win in the NBA and to go into a game against a series against the Nets where they've run so much isolation. Listen, you can't get in an ISO matchup with a team that on the other side has Kevin Durant and going into it, Kyrie Irving and James Harden. I know some of those guys have been hurt, but if you just let both teams win, you know, run ISOs all game, you're going to get schooled by the team that has Kevin Durant running ISOs. Like you have to be the better team playing basketball and the Bucks haven't done that. And, and I, I know some of the stubbornness by Bud has been brought out by, by numerous people, but the inability to change a game plan or to recognize what's going wrong and not change it in almost any capacity is crazy to me in this day and age where either uh, teams are constantly making adjustments and they've just gone out and said, we're going to do our thing and they're going to have to stop us. Well, they've stopped you. And you know, you've had the opportunity to take control of the series and you didn't um, when when the Nets were at their weakest. I think that the toughest thing here, and I'll end with this, is if you would have told me that the Bucks went out against Kyrie and Harden and Durant and they just got outplayed by a team of superstars, you tip your cap and you say, okay, Durant's amazing, Kyrie's amazing, Harden's obviously great. You can live with that a million times out of a million. 
to be handed to you basically on a silver platter, a series where Harden doesn't play for four games. And then when he plays in the fifth, it would have probably been better if he didn't. Um, And then to have Kyrie go out for game five and game six and not even be competitive in some of these games or choke away huge leads and just not look cohesive or coherent in multiple stretches of the game. Like in a way, as if you're looking at this as an independent it's really hard not to cheer for the Nets at this point. Like they've had to overcome a ton of adversity in this series and they've done it like over and over. Meanwhile, the Bucs have been handed this series for the most part on a silver platter would then go on against the 76ers who probably won't have Danny Green, who could have a seriously banged up Joel Embiid, even though he looked great tonight. Um, You know, and then you could potentially go against the Western conference team that Kawhi's now out like you know, the Jazz look like they have imperfections. Like this was this was a season. Chris Paul can come back. Yeah, exactly. So like this was a a season where they could have everything was handed to them in a way, and they just couldn't take advantage. I think that's what's so frustrating. Yeah, and another thing to me that's so frustrating, kind of you're talking about doing a lot of isolation. You know, when we've seen the Bucks do ball movement, passing the ball, great. Uh, shit you know things like that like the first half yesterday they 17 point lead they look in control they're dominating the nets look flustered and second half durant gets hot um green which you know if he uh does if he plays his what his average game what he does you know what he's done his entire career kevin durant's game is you know yeah he scored 49 in 48 minutes but they still lose. Um, you see them run team basketball, and then when they get punched in the mouth, the Nets go on this little bit of a run. They go back to ISO, ISO, ISO. When they beat the Heat, they run by they run because they were running plays. They were you know and whatnot, and it's like they just they can't they don't face adversity well. And to me. That to me, that kind of falls more on the coach because it's his job to get them refocused. You know, call tip, Bud typically calls time time uh, timeout at the right time. You know, something that some of the all time great coaches are really good at. Let the guys play through it, but then they also knew when to call timeout, and that's something that Bud does really well. And no, he's not an all time great coach, but that's one element to his game that's good. Okay, I need to call a timeout. But what he doesn't do well, typically they come out of timeout. It's pretty good, pretty strong. But when things start getting tough, like yesterday when Durant could have probably shot the basketball from England and it still would have went in, um, he doesn't seem to get his team refocused. And to me, I think that's like the biggest biggest issue with me, with, with yeah. the Bucs. His job is to get them focused and settle down and get them, you know, let's do, you know, run what was working. And it's like we got punched in the mouth. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to throw my hands up and make weird faces on the sidelines. No, I agree. I agree totally. So, well, I do want to thank you for coming on. Um, if you want to just let people know where to find your stuff again, uh, for those that are, you know, tuning in late or, uh, you know, listening towards the end here, um, of interview with you, you know, pack a day podcast, as well as your, your articles that you write as well. Um, feel free to. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Uh, you can find the articles, obviously, on Packer Reports. And then, of course, audio and video, uh, Pack-A-Day podcast, both uh, wherever you find your favorite podcast, as well as on YouTube. Cool. Well, thank you so much for uh, 
for coming on and just going to wrap up with some bucks uh, and a brewer talk quick before I call my show a day, but you know, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time. You bet. Thanks, Evan. Appreciate having me. Yep. Have a good one. You bet. Okay. So just trying to get my room resituated. Um, kind of new with using uh, live, this uh, uh, stream yard that I'm using for, for the show. So just bear with me. I'm um, trying to figure out why, you know, He's kind of spinning um, here on the screen. So anyways, thanks to Andy for coming on and uh, talking Packers here with me and some Milwaukee Bucks. And um, do want to move on to um, the Milwaukee Bucks here, that piece now. And I guess, you know, for those still watching, uh, you know, kind of, you know, your thoughts on the game. So to me, you know, Andy hit a lot of points that I want to hit. Um, a, lot, they, a lot of ISO yesterday, a lot of, you know, to me, a lot of ISO this series. And they got handed on a silver platter um, a chance to get to the Eastern Conference Finals with uh, Harden get going out in game one with uh, uh, Kyrie uh, spraining his ankle pretty good um, in game four. And, you know, it wasn't for the Jeff Green game, I guess we'll call it. You know, it's easy to call it the Kevin Durant game because he forty a triple double, forty nine points in forty eight minutes. Um, so yeah, I guess it's easy to call it the. Um, I guess it's easy to call it the you know the Kevin Durant game, but in reality, it was the Jeff Green game. You know, Jeff Green um, played out of his mind. If Jeff Green plays his typical season average, the Bucks win that game easily. Um, but unfortunately, he didn't, and unfortunately, the Bucks lost. So, you know, just kind of wrap up with some thoughts with the Bucks really quick before I do uh, end the show. Talking sports with Evan. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Evan with Sports, as you see the the ticker here at the bottom um, with the banner. Um, uh, once again, like I said, I do appreciate um, uh, Andy coming on to give his thoughts on the Aaron Rodgers situation and whatnot. Um, but if the Bucks don't win this round, if they get booted in six or seven against the, the, the Nets and the question comes down, where do you go from here? Now, this is the third straight year where you've disappointed in the playoffs. Two, uh, two years ago, you lost to Toronto. Last year, you lost uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals to Toronto. Last year, you lost to Miami in the bubble. This year, you're going against a undermanned New Jersey, uh, Brooklyn Nets team. Pretty much Kevin Durant, and that's it. Um, Harden was a shell of himself yesterday, and who knows what he's going to be in game six. And you had a chance to take control of the series. You are up 17 points numerous times. And you still lost. To me, this game was similar to Toronto Game 6 2019, where they were up double digits numerous times in that game to force a Game 7, but they were unable to sustain the lead, and they crapped the bet. So, hypothetical, because we still got Game 6, which I think the Bucks will win, and then they have to win Game 7. But hypothetically, Bucks don't win the championship. Um, Bud is let go. I guess the question is, where do you go? Because now, 
now you need to make the right decision. Ultimately, you got to make the right decision. You have, you're locked in with Middleton. Maybe you can get him traded. I don't know. You're locked in with Middleton. You're locked in with Giannis. You're locked in with Holiday. You're stuck with those three guys. So this next decision, this next coach you decide, either it be Bud coming back for another year, and I'm sure people listening are groaning big time right now, or you bring in somebody new. This is a the probably the biggest decision that John Horst to me has ever had to make because he when he took the G, GM job, you already had Giannis, you already had Middleton. You know he had to get out some out some uh, from under some bad contracts that his predecessor and him um, brought in, and he was able to. But I think this is the be- biggest decision he's ever going to have to make as a general manager. Because who you who you pick as your next head coach is going to be is going to decide if you stay a top two, top three, top four team in the Eastern Conference year in and year out, or are you falling back in the basketball purgatory where you you know six, seven, eight seed, and that's what you're kind of uh, shooting for because you don't have a lot of draft picks either. So some names being thrown out there that I've seen is Rick Carlisle. Still has a job in Dallas, but now with the general manager out, maybe he'll be out too. Uh, Mike D'Antoni, Scott Brooks, Darvin Ham, Becky Hammond, Sam Cassell. Those are names I've seen thrown around. I think the issue you get with Brooks, D'Antoni, and Carlisle, out of the three of them, you have two NBA final appearances and one NBA final win. Rick Carlisle won the NBA title in Dallas over Miami and Scott Brooks uh, with the OKC lost in the NBA finals against Miami. I believe it was Miami, but anyway, it's not a lot of, and then then Tony has not, has never been to the NBA finals as a head coach. His teams have always underachieved in the playoffs. Every team that Tony's been on that made the playoffs, they dominate the regular season they get to the playoffs and they falter. Sound familiar? Kind of sounds like what the Bucks have right now in Budenholzer with D'Antoni. And then I I know some of the criticism with a Becky Hammond or Dar- Darvin Ham is you're kind of still using Bud's system, but I don't know if that's a bad thing. I don't think continuing to use Bud's system is a bad thing because the system itself works. The issue the Bucks run into is when they have to make adjustments because teams found a way to cut them off. Uh, teams are starting to find success in stopping them. Teams are starting to find success in scoring on them. That's where Bud has faltered, making those decisions, in-game adjustments, deciding on what buttons to push. That's where he struggled. So if you bring somebody in who's run the same system, even a Tim Duncan, um, which I wouldn't mind Tim Duncan coming in, at least as an assistant coach, I think that would be great for Giannis. Um, he would learn a ton in, uh, in the post. Um, Duncan was one of the best uh, power forwards we've ever seen in the NBA. So I think that would be great for uh, Giannis if they got a guy like Tim Duncan in there who just started getting into coaching in San Antonio with Popovich. But regardless what they do, whenever the season ends, uh, tomorrow, this weekend, 
a few weeks from now with an NBA title, without an NBA title. If you decide to part ways with Bud, it is the biggest decision of John Horst's career. So with that said, thank you so much to Andy Herman for coming on from Packaday Podcast to talk some Packers with me and some bucks there at the very end. Uh, wasn't expecting uh, that much time, but I, I'm very uh, happy that, you know, I'm very ecstatic that he was able to spend this time with me. Um, and thank you for those that watched uh, the live stream. The podcast, the recorded version will be posted uh if not tonight yet, tomorrow uh, at some point, I'm going to work on getting that up. New episode of Talking Sports with Evan will be next week. Um, now that I'm getting a little more comfortable and using the StreamYard, I will be scheduling it out uh, a few days uh, in advance so you can prepare yourself for listening to me talk sports. And you can follow me on Twitter at Evan with Sports. You can follow Andy at, at Andy Herman NFL. And find his work at Packaday Podcast. And he's got an outstanding crew with Packaday Podcast. So with that said, have a good one. Go Bucks. Let's win in seven. Oh, and uh, Mr. Brickner, thank you so much for your comment. I appreciate it. Have a good one, everybody.